that this will be a house of miracles. Amen, church. Amen. Happy grand opening Sunday. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome. It is so, so, so good to be with you guys. If this is your first time with us, if you are the invited guest or a friend or family member or someone who attends here, or if you're from the community and you received a mailer or you clicked on a Facebook ad or you just heard about the free Chevetta's Chicken Barbecue, whatever brings you here today, welcome. My name is Pete. I have the distinct honor and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And this lovely lady beside me is my wife, Kelly. We are so glad that you're here. How awesome it is to see God's house full. And I am so glad that you joined us today. I don't know if you feel it, but God's presence is here right yeah. now. And I've got good news for you, church. Jesus changes everything. Yes. So I don't know what you walked in here with today, whether you came in here, as Pete said, because somebody invited you. Maybe you thought you would never darken the doors of a church. Or maybe you're here because you've been a follower of Jesus and you just haven't found a church home yet. Maybe you're here just checking us out because you wanted to see what all the hype was about. I'm so glad you're here and God knew that you were going to be here and he is ready to meet you right where you're at. And so I want to tell you something, church. This building is beautiful. We're celebrating our grand opening. But what we're celebrating today is not this beautiful building. We are celebrating what God is already doing, what he's about to do in and through this place and through the people here. So I want you to think about the people in your life that you know that are hurting and broken. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you came in hurting and broken, hopeless. This is the place for you. So I hope that today you feel God's presence here. And I hope you remember that we are open. Our doors are open to our community and to all of you to be a place where people can experience the hope that is only found in Jesus. We are going to keep preaching the hope that is only found in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Not only is today our grand opening, but 15 years ago to this very Sunday, Life Church was birthed. This is our 15th anniversary. Awesome. And so not only is this the culmination of the last two years of faithful giving and generosity from our church family as we set out to make more room for more people to experience the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't be here today without the sacrifice of those who've gone before us. And we have in the house with us today our founding pastor, Craig McLeod. My friend, my spiritual father, my pastor, would you join me on stage today so we can give honor where honor is due. Scripture tells us to give honor where honor is due. And so, Pastor Craig, on this historic day in Life Church's history, we recognize that we wouldn't be here without you. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable in Christ Jesus. And so, to spiritual stones, we wanted to give you a gift to commemorate this day as we dedicate this building, this house, that God's body, Christ's body dwells together. And so this plaque 
says, presented to Life Church Buffalo's founding pastor, Craig McLeod, at the grand opening of their new worship auditorium on October 10th, 2021, in recognition of and appreciation for the foundation that you laid upon which we are building. Thank you for the foundation that you laid. Thank you. Sit down. Sit down. <laughs> um, you know, we're always questioning whether the voice in our head is from God or not when we hear something. Six years ago, almost to the day, I mean, you talk about 15 years ago, almost to the day or to the day, this Sunday, we started. But six years ago, Almost to the day, I haven't really figured it out. I was in my office, which is now his office, and I was praying and crying out to God because I had never struggled with vision before, and I was struggling with it. It was a heavy weight on me as throughout the year. I was just struggling about the future of the church. I was 60, and I was thinking about the future, and I was really struggling with it. And I was just crying out to God. And as I prayed this word from, now I know it's from heaven, but this download in me happened. And the phrase was, the vision is for another man. And when I heard that, the weight just lifted off of my shoulders. And I picked up the phone right then and called Pete Jankowski. And I said, Pete, Pete, these thoughts are going through my head. What do you think? Because let me tell you, there was no other choice. So I just have a question for you. That download I had that day, was that from God or not? <laughs> that was from the Lord. And it, everything that's happening is evidence of that. I am just not just thrilled. I am extremely honored to be a part of this foundation. Thank you. Let's give it up for the pastor. As a church family, we have been on a journey these last two years that we have called Legacy. This has been the building campaign, the expansion that has made possible the building that we are now meeting in. But really, the idea of legacy comes from the fact that the church is the legacy of Jesus, a legacy that has been passed down from generation to generation and was passed down into Craig and Carol's life. And they took what was deposited in them when they planted this church. And six years ago, he handed the baton to me. And one day, the, the call will come for me to pass the baton to the next generation. And so I wanna just seal this moment with a word of prayer as we recognize the historic day that this is, the legacy that is being handed down and recognize that we would just lay it all at the feet of Jesus. So God, right now, we just come before you as your sons and daughters, grateful to be a part of your legacy, grateful for the legacy of those who've gone before us, for the foundation that Pastor Craig has laid. We honor him for the sacrifice. We honor him for his leadership. We honor him for the way he pastored and led this church for 11 years with integrity, 
always pointing people to you. But Lord, he was just a man in the same way that I am just a man who've been entrusted with the responsibility of proclaiming and declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And to make disciples of all men. And so as we sit in this place today, gathered for the celebration and dedication of this building, which is a gift from you, but it's really just a tool. This is not a church. The church is a people. We are the church. We are a part of a church that spans the globe, and we join with our brothers and sisters on the great commission to make disciples, to spread the message of Jesus, to become more like you. And so God, as we we just want to lay it all at your feet and say, God, would you have your way? Would you continue to build your church? And may the gates of hell not be able to stand against the advancement of your church. I declare that the greatest days for the church are still ahead of us. They are not behind us. We are in the middle of a revival. The fields are ripe for harvest. So we're not waiting for you to move. You're waiting for us to move because you've already given us the commandment to go. So we will go and we will tell and we will love and we will serve and we will be your church. God, we lay it at your feet. We thank you for the provision that has made this building possible. But Lord, may we not be caught up in the celebration of a pretty new building. It's just a tool. Lord, this is not the finish line. This is a starting line. Pray that you would catapult us in the future that you have for us. Lord, give us fresh vision. Give us a a, a new hunger to reach those in our community, to reach those in our family, in our schools, in our workplace. As we've made room, we've made space for them to come and experience your love, your touch, your peace. Jesus, we thank you for this day. May it be etched into our memories. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you are excited, church? Best is yet to come. What an exciting, exciting day. To my church family who is tuning in online right now, I wish you could be here with us to feel the energy and the excitement in the room, but just know that we are praying for you. You are every bit as much a part of the church family as those who are physically gathered here today. It's October. And so that means Halloween is right around the corner. And listen, if you're newer to church, maybe you're coming because you don't have a church home and what you've experienced so far has maybe piqued your interest. Could I encourage you to maybe consider coming back next week and attending what we call Growth Path? It's something that we offer every month to provide people who are looking to take a next step because no matter whether you've been following Jesus one day or 50 years, everyone has a next step to take. And Growth Path is an intentional pathway for spiritual growth. It helps people take a next step and figure out what that step is. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about who we are as a church and what we believe, but more importantly, what your next step might be in this body, in this family that God is building here, that begins next Sunday, October 17th. Consider signing up for that. You can find out more information at the information booth on your way out. But as I just mentioned, it is October. Halloween is right around the corner. And although that's not my favorite uh, holiday of the year. I know many people geek out and get all excited at the opportunity to dress up, you know, as, as a scary creature or watch scary movies. Um, I don't really struggle with fear myself. 
You know, it, it, it might be fun for people to make believe, but how many of you know we live in a very, you know, in a time where there are some real things that create very real fear in a lot of people. That fear is a dominant emotion that can really control people's lives. Now, I don't really struggle with fear a whole lot, but when I was a kid, I, I was afraid of the dark like many kids are. In fact, when I, when I was in bed, if I ever had to get out of bed and it was still nighttime, if I had to go to the bathroom or you know, go find mom and dad for something, I would stand up in my bed and jump from my bed to the doorway of my bedroom because I didn't want to put my foot next to the bed for fear that whatever was hiding underneath the bed was going to grab my foot when I stepped beside it. That was the same reason that I would run up the basement stairs. The basement was a scary, creepy place. It was dark. It was damp. And I hated going down there by myself as a kid. And whenever I had to, I would get out of there as fast as I could. And I would like sprint up the stairs because I was afraid that whatever was hiding behind the stairs would reach through the stairs and grab my feet. So, and I'm ashamed to admit that at 43 years old, I still run up the stairs. (laughs) There's just something in me that's like, what if somebody's down here? (laughs) I'm not sure what you are afraid of, but all of us fear something at some level. You know, a lot of people today are afraid of COVID and rightfully so. A lot of people have lost friends or family members. And even if they haven't, they're afraid they might lose a friend or family member to this this disease. Some people are afraid to be in large gatherings like this, while other people are afraid of gathering restrictions being imposed once again. But it's not just COVID either. There's a lot of things that people are fearful of. In fact, I looked up, what are some of the most common phobias that people have? And just to give you a few of the common ones, there's nosophobia, which is the fear of developing a disease, which is rampant in our culture today with COVID spreading rapidly. There is arachnophobia. I watched that movie as a kid and it wrecked me. The fear of spiders. There's claustrophobia, which we know is the fear of enclosed spaces. There's acrophobia, which is a very common fear, the fear of heights. There's also thanatophobia, which is the fear of death. A lot of people are afraid of dying. There was also some weird phobias when I looked this up on the internet, and I want to give you just a couple of them. There is, I'm going to try to pronounce these, arachabutyrophobia, which is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I didn't know there was such a thing. Apparently, people can develop a fear from that. There is nomophobia, which is the fear of being without your mobile phone. How many of you know that's a very real fear in our culture today? Where's my phone? Where did I put my phone? Like, as soon as people realize they don't have their phone on them, they start to freak out. This next one cracked me up, and I have no idea how they came up with this word, but it's the longest word in the English dictionary, and I'm going to try to pronounce this. I'm going to probably butcher it, but it's hippopotomonstrosesquipedeliophobia, which is the fear of long words. For real. How do they come up with that? There's also electorophobia, which is the fear of chickens. There is a fear for everything out there. And in preparation for this message, I put out a poll on Facebook earlier this week and asked people, what some things that they are afraid of were? What are some things that they fear? And speaking of chickens, that's a very real thing. Like, 
someone posted a comment in my thread with this meme that I'm going to put up for you right here. You won't know what genuine fear is until you've been chased by a rooster. Look at the, the look of sheer terror on that poor boy's face. Oh my gosh. I wasn't a kid when it happened to me, but I was actually in college and it wasn't a rooster, it was a turkey. I, was, I had a job where I went door to door asking people for water samples because the company I worked for sold water softeners. And so I'm at the door of this one house and going through my spiel, talking to the homeowner and behind me, I hear this rustle and I turn around and there's a turkey standing about 15 feet behind me. And the homeowner's like, oh, don't pay him any mind. He's just the town turkey. He lives in the woods behind us and he doesn't really bother anybody. He'll leave you alone when you go away. And so I finished my spiel and I walk down the stairs of the front porch and start walking up the driveway and the turkey is following me. And he's getting closer and closer. And I keep looking behind me and I start walking a little bit faster and faster because I had heard horror stories of turkeys apparently have these talons that stick off of their legs that they can use to flog people with. And I, I'm like, I ain't having that with me. So I just, I hit the end of the driveway. He's now like five feet behind me. And I'm in a full-blown sprint, sprint going down the street as he literally starts chasing me. I was terrified. To this day, I'm afraid when I see a turkey. I don't know what you fear, but we all fear something. Some of the responses, I, I don't know, this might be the, the most commented on post I've ever put on Facebook. Over 150 some comments I think I had last time I checked. Some of the responses that people had to what they fear. Some you would expect, spiders, snakes, frogs, mice, you know, creatures. Some fear heights. Some people said they fear the unknown. Some people said they fear being alone or being forgotten. Some people said they fear being invisible, irrelevant, or insignificant. Some people said they fear dying young or having their kids die before them. Some people said they fear missed opportunities or missing out on God's plan for their lives, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. I feel like fear itself is an epidemic in our culture today. How many of you know mainstream media does a really good job of peddling fear in an attempt to get, like, to influence and control your behavior? That's all they're doing is peddling fear. And so I want to speak to the fears that we all face from a faith perspective. We're starting a new series today called Fearless, and when our world is shaken and everything seems so uncertain, it's really easy for fear to spread. But what would it be like to have a life where you trust more and fear less, amen? That's what I want for all of us. I wanna to talk today to Jesus followers to help us know how we can fear less. That's the name of our series today. And I wanna acknowledge right up front that I recognize that Many people here today may not be Jesus followers. Maybe you're here today and you're just here for the free Chevetta's chicken dinner or because somebody invited you. And listen, if that's you, we are so excited to have you here with us today. We are a church that welcomes people at every stage of belief. You can belong here before you believe, that you can wrestle with your doubts and know that as you do, you won't be judged. You're going to be loved and accepted for who you are, where you are. But our hope and our prayer is that if you come around long enough, you'll eventually reach a point where you realize how much God loves you and that you'll make a decision to surrender your life to him and become a follower of Jesus yourself. And so I'm hopeful that even if you're not a Jesus follower here today, that what you hear in this message might give you something to think about. Maybe you've got some fears that you wrestle with and 
you've not really been able to overcome them, and maybe you'll hear something that's helpful for you today to combat those fears. There was a time when Jesus' own disciples were afraid, and Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who was an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, recorded the things he saw. And there was one occasion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, where it says that Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. Mark's gospel actually tells us in the parallel story that the boat began to fill with water. Do you ever have a sudden storm break into your life where you're just kind of going along, everything's to be going just fine, and all of a sudden this sudden storm, and out of nowhere you get a notice that you're losing your job. Out of nowhere you get some, some troubling news from the doctor and a diagnosis you didn't expect. Out of nowhere your spouse of 20 years decides to file for divorce. Suddenly a storm breaks into your life, and what's our response? We get afraid. We're afraid, right? What if I can't find a new job? How will I provide for my family? What if I don't make it through this diagnosis? How am I going to move on without mom or dad if they unexpectedly passed away? I'm afraid of being alone. How am I going to make ends meet and still be there for my children? Well, this storm pops up suddenly for the disciples and they start freaking out. But it said that Jesus was in the boat with them. So where is Jesus? Well, the next part of the verse tells us that Jesus was sleeping. He was sleeping. And isn't that how a lot of us feel when the sudden storms of life break out? God, my life is falling apart. Do you see me? Where are you, God? Are you asleep? A lot of us feel that way. And so the disciples, it says, went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Sometimes it it, it seems like God's oblivious to the storms that we're in and the fact that we are drowning in our circumstances. Unfortunately, to me, it also seems like those are often the times, really the only times that we really acknowledge God or call out to him for help is when the storms hit. So Jesus in verse 26 responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. In other words, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be so afraid. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Well, not only is this another example of a miracle that Jesus performed, demonstrating his sovereignty over everything, his control over the elements, even where he can speak to the wind and the waves, but Jesus' response here shows us that there is an inverse relationship between fear and faith. That the amount of fear we experience when the sudden storms of life break out is inversely related to the amount of faith that we have. Less faith, fear more. More faith, fear less. I don't know about you, but I wish I had more faith so that I would fear less when the storms of life break out. The way to fear less is to increase your faith. And what I want you all to understand today is that faith and fear are both a product of our focus. And we all get to choose what we focus on at any moment, at any time. There was another story 
Later on in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, of when the disciples are in a boat, once again, it's in the middle of the night, and they see this figure walking on the water, and they are freaked out. They're scared. They're afraid because they think they've seen a ghost. And Peter's like, wait a second. I only know one dude that can do that. So Jesus, if that's you, why don't you call me to come out on the water? And so Jesus calls him on his bluff, says, yeah, why don't you come on out, Peter? And so it, it tells us that Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on water. But it says, when he saw the wind, he began to sink. See, when his focus was on Jesus, he had faith to walk on water. But when he focused on what was happening around him, fear gripped him and he began to sink. Do you see that faith and fear are both a product of what we're focused on? So don't focus on the wind and the waves. Don't focus on what's swirling around you. I know the news, you know, is, is a place that we go to to stay informed, but man, we are just like, some of us are consuming the news and it's no wonder we're afraid. The news is meant to be checked, not watched. I'm not saying don't be informed, but listen, don't let facts be the only thing that you focus on. Because at the end of the day, facts are not the ultimate reality for those of us who are people of faith. There is a peace and a confidence that comes when we focus on Jesus, who spoke the world into existence, who speaks to the wind and the waves, and who holds all of our tomorrows. We get to choose how we respond to the storms of life. Will you respond in fear or will you respond in faith? Depends on what you focus on. Jesus says, watch me. Don't watch the wind. Did you know that fear and faith sort of have the same definition? What's the definition of fear? Believing that what hasn't happened is going to come true, right? I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid. I'm going to catch COVID and die, right? We're afraid that we, we believe that what hasn't happened yet is going to happen. But isn't that sort of the same definition of faith? believing that what hasn't happened yet will come true. The difference is our focus, right? Faith says, even if I lose my job, I believe God will provide another one for me and meet all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's our focus. You can have two very different responses to the exact same situation. The difference is focus. Fear focuses on the negative outcome of what might happen, Whereas faith focuses on the faithfulness of Jesus who holds all of our tomorrows and knows that he is working all things together for our good. And so how, this begs the question, how do we increase our faith so that we'll fear less? That's the question. And I'm glad you asked it because I want to answer it for you today, at least try to answer it for you. The apostle Paul gives us a really strong clue as to how we increase our faith so we fear less in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul writes this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul tells us that our faith grows when we hear the word of God and the good news about Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're gonna try to do over the next four weeks. We're gonna speak to some of the common fears that people have, but then we're going to look at God's word and see what it has to say about how we respond to those fears and see if we can't increase our faith from what God's word says so that we fear less. And I want to try to do this for the next four weeks out of one passage of scripture primarily. 
a very well-known passage of scripture known as Psalm 23. Beloved Psalm written by King David who grew up as a shepherd, became a warrior, and then became the king of Israel. Now, when I was a kid, I kind of saw Psalm 23 as the funeral psalm. Heard it at every single funeral I went to. Maybe you saw it embroidered on something that was hanging on your grandmother's wall. And for a lot of us, that's where Psalm 23 belongs in our minds. But I want us to look at Psalm 23 in a new light because I think it can be a tremendous source of life and confidence, a source of strength and even boldness. And I know we don't often associate boldness with the words of Psalm 23, but that's exactly where I want us to go and what I'm hoping will draw from this, that it will increase our confidence, our boldness, and our faith so that we will fear less. I'm going to read the whole psalm, and then each week we'll look at a couple verses in the psalm, and it starts in verse 1 with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some translations say, I lack nothing. And I could preach a whole message on that one verse right there, the fear of lack that dominates so many people. We have a scarcity mentality where we're constantly worried there's not going to be enough to meet all my needs. But I preached on a scarcity mentality three weeks ago in our All In series, but just know this, that the faith to overcome the fear of lack is found in knowing Jesus as your shepherd who abundantly provides for every single one of your needs. He provides well for his family. So if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go onto our YouTube page and listen to it. But David continues in verse two. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful and timeless passage that people have been reading and reciting and singing for nearly 3,000 years And it has brought hope and confidence to generation after generation. But the psalm begins with a reference to the Lord being a shepherd, which is really a foreshadowing of Jesus who arrives on the scene in the New Testament and reveals himself in John 10 as the great shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. I know them by name, he says. You know that Jesus knows your name? He knows everything about you. He knows the very number of hairs that are on your head. And for some of you, that's more than it is for others. I'm sorry to say. But he knows you. And if he knows your name, he also knows your fears. He knows when you're lying awake at night because you're afraid that you don't have enough to pay the bills. He knows when you're struggling with the fear of death. He knows when you struggle with the fear of being alone for the rest of your life. He knows when you are fearful of being insignificant, forgotten. He knows you, and knowing the shepherd is the key to increasing our faith to overcome those fears. It gives us boldness. 
And so for the next four weeks, I want us to look at this psalm in a new light and see how it addresses some of the most common fears, deep-rooted fears that we all face. And the first one we're going to look at today is the fear of missing out, otherwise known in our culture as FOMO. FOMO, the fear of missing out, it is a very real fear, and it is growing more and more prevalent in our culture today. Earlier this week, I was supposed to be at a pastors and leaders conference on Monday. See, our church belongs to a network of churches called Next Level Relational Network, and every month I get on a Zoom call with 10 other pastors, and we encourage one another, and we, you know, share wins and losses. We, you know, we just, we try to grow together. But every, every year in October, at the beginning of October, uh, down in Fort Myers, Florida, at Next Level Church, there is a pastors and leaders conference. I've missed it for, I think, three years in a row now. And uh, as much as I wanted to go, it was the week of grand opening. And I just didn't think it was a good idea to be out of pocket for a couple of days while the rest of the staff and team were working hard to get ready for today's big events. And so I decided not to go. But as soon as the guys in my brotherhood group got down to Fort Myers, they start posting on Facebook and social media. The group me thread that I'm a part of with them was blowing up about how great of a time they're having. And I was like, oh, man, I'm missing out. I love you too. But I was afraid that I was missing out on all the cool stuff. And we experience that too, don't we? If you're on social media, I know you've felt this, where you've got friends that are posting their highlight reels, and you compare that with your behind-the-scenes footage, and you think that you're less than them, and you don't have as fun of a life as they do, and you're like, wait, why didn't I get invited to that? We have this insecurity that rises up in us. We're afraid that we're missing out on all the cool stuff. And really one of the most often repeated responses to the post I made earlier this week on Facebook was, I'm afraid that I'm missing out on God's plan for my life. I'm afraid that I'm missing out on doing something significant with my life. I'm fearful of missing out on opportunities that I'm going to reach the end saying, man, I could have, I should have, I would have done more. I should have risked more. It's a very common fear, and this isn't just a Christian thing. Every human being alive fears living a life of insignificance, that they're missing out on something. And so what do we do in response to that fear? We just we go at a pace that is frenetic and crazy because we've just we can't miss out on anything. We gotta do all the things, we gotta impress all the people, we gotta satisfy everybody else's expectations. I can't miss out on anything because Maybe if I, if I try to experience everything, then, then I'll find purpose and hopefully make a difference in someone's life. And we, we hustle and we move at this crazy pace, all in the hopes that we'll find our purpose. But with the little bit of time we have remaining, I want to try to tackle this fear that we're missing out on something. Because I think Psalm 23 addresses it directly. Look again with me at verses 2 and 3. David writes, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Now, before I get to the promise of purpose, the first truth that I want to give you today is that the shepherd leads us to peaceful places at the right pace. See, in our culture today, there's this constant pressure to go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. We got to do it all because we can't miss any moments. But listen to me. We're called human beings, not human doings. 
We all feel this pressure that we've got to do all of this to, to be significant. We can't miss out on any moments, but our shepherd leads us to peaceful places at the right pace. He will cause us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. There's something about being next to a still body of water that just instantly brings a calm to your soul. And when he does those things, David says, he restores my soul. That my shepherd, knowing my soul, my, my life and the culture I live in, leads me in such a way that he leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. Still waters. How many of you feel like your life is a level five rapids going down the Grand Canyon of the Colorado River? It's totally turbulent. There's danger around every turn. It's constant upheaval. But the shepherd wants to lead you beside still waters. That's really the heart even behind the commandment that tells us to honor the Sabbath. The God who created us knows that there should be a rhythm to our lives where we work six days and rest on the seventh. But in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is our Sabbath, that we enter into a Sabbath rest when we enter into a relationship with the great shepherd. He leads us beside still waters. He brings rest to our souls. I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase paraphrases the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. Jesus said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. I think what we want in this life is just constantly go, go, go. And yeah, I need some rejuvenation, but I need it quick. So give me an energy drink or two or three because I got to do all the things. And then even at nighttime, we work till all hours of the night. We're burning the candle at both ends. And so I got to take a rest, but I got to do it quick because I can't miss out on any moments. And sometimes I think God just wants us to Slow down and stop and rest and be still. God spoke to David in Psalm 46, 10 and said, be still and know that I am God. Some of us don't know that he is God and in control of everything because we've not taken time to be still. Just be still. And I know it's not easy. Listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I experience the same pressure, the same drive to get it all done. I don't want to miss out on anything. I don't want to miss any opportunities. But it really, it boils down to a choice for most of us, doesn't it? We make time for the things that matter most. And most of us don't make time to be still. Do I keep going? Do I hit play on the next episode of this show I'm binge watching on Netflix? Or do I stop? And try to listen for the voice of the shepherd for a few minutes. Do I take five minutes and just say, God, here I am. I'm tired. I'm stressed out. I'm burned out. I'm missing out. Would you restore my soul? 
He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. See, we wouldn't have to fear missing out on God's purpose and plan for our lives if we would just learn how to follow the leading of the shepherd. Because David said in the next part of the verse, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Other translations word it this way. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. So when you follow the voice of the shepherd, you don't have to fear taking the wrong path because it says he leads you along the right paths. The second truth I want to give you today is that when you follow the voice of the shepherd, he leads you along his pathway for your life. You know, he has a pathway for every single one of us. It's called paths of righteousness. See, sometimes we think God's purpose and plan for our lives is regarding a specific vocation that I, this is what he's called me to do, or this is the school I'm supposed to go to, or this is the person that I'm supposed to marry. And if I decide wrong, if I get it wrong, I'm going to miss out on God's plan for my life. And I can relate with this fear. I felt it when I found myself divorced in my first marriage. I grew up in a church tradition that taught and believed that you couldn't become a pastor or go into vocational ministry if you were divorced. And so when my first marriage ended in divorce, I, I, I was afraid. I'm like, I, I missed out. I'm never going to be able to experience what I believed in my heart God had called me to do. But listen to me. God's plan and purpose for your life has way more to do with who you're becoming than what you do. Paths of righteousness he leads us on. And righteousness is right standing with God and right living in accordance with his standards that makes us acceptable to him. That's what righteousness is. When you follow the voice of the shepherd, when you decide to root your life in relationship with Jesus, the great shepherd, his pathway for you is that you would become more like him, that you would become more holy, more righteous, that you would live according to his ways. And we learn his ways from looking at his word. That's what David said in Psalm 119, verse 105, when he says, your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That God's word lights our path and teaches us how to live according to God's ways. So you don't have to fear making the wrong decision and missing out on God's perfect will for your life and what school you should go to and where you should live and, and where you should work and, and who you should marry because he will lead you on the right paths that will help you to become more like him in whatever you're doing vocationally. See, where you live, where you go to school is not nearly as important as how you're living in those places. What you do is not as important as who you're becoming. And it says he will lead you on the right paths for his name's sake. So listen, if you're a Jesus follower, you never have to fear living a life of insignificance because there is nothing more significant than living for his name's sake. That's what makes our lives successful. That's what makes our lives significant. And some of us are missing out on God's plan and purpose and the peace that comes with it because we're living for our name's sake. We want all the glory. We want the money. We want the power. We want the prestige. We want the cars, the toys, the house, all of this stuff that culture says we should all be striving for. We live for our namesake, but it's only when we live for his namesake 
do we find significance? See, God wants to write his story through your life. And he does it through all parts of our life, through our brokenness and through our healing, through our pain and then our restoration, even through our failures and our sins and then our repentance and the forgiveness that comes and the restoration that follows. God is writing his story through our lives for his name's sake, that when other people see what he accomplishes through us, when we're surrendered to him, when we're living on right paths for his name's sake, it draws other people to say, I want what you got. You've got a joy that defies circumstances. I want some of that. I want some of the peace that you have when you're following Jesus for his name's sake. Listen, every single person here today, your life has meaning and purpose because you are made in his image on purpose for a purpose. Everybody in this room and those of you watching online right now, even if you don't know him or don't follow Jesus, you bear his image. Scripture says he has put eternity in the hearts of men. So regardless of whether you're here today and you even acknowledge Jesus as the Savior or as, as God, there is something in you, there's something in the heart of every human being that asks the deeper questions in life. Is there a God? What comes after this life? What is my purpose in being here? That's because God has set eternity in the hearts of men and there's a curiosity in us to know, do I matter? Is my life significant? I want to make a difference that comes from him. And the thing I want you to take out of this passage and this series of messages, if you'll come back for the series, is not so much what to do, because we'll talk about how to do this better and how to do that better. But I think being a Christian is about so much more than what you do. And that's what a lot of people think. It's like a list of do's and don'ts. That's the view they have of Christianity. I think it's about so much more than just that. I think it's about understanding who we've been called to follow. It's understanding the identity of the shepherd and knowing what he is like. And so, yes, I can give you advice. And the advice is to slow down. Take a break. Don't stress out over everything. Take a nap. right? Jesus took naps. Be more like Jesus. I have a t-shirt that says that. I love it. It's my favorite shirt. My wife and my closest friends have a photo album that are shared that they take pictures of me every time they find me sleeping in random places. And there is this collaboration of literally hundreds of pics of the places that I have fallen asleep. But listen, that's, that's great advice. But that advice is rooted in the character, in the identity, and in a relationship with the shepherd who provides all that for us. That if I respond to him, he'll lead me beside still waters. When I lean into him and depend on him, he will restore my soul. That when I follow his voice and his leading, he'll guide me down the right paths. And he does that through his word. He does that through his spirit. He does that through his people. He does that on Sunday mornings when we gather together as a church body, as a family, a, a community of people. 
who come together and for the purpose of of singing praise to God and also listening to the proclamation of the gospel and, and learning and listening about how God's word applies to our lives today. And, and listen, I know worship is, is God-centered, God-focused, at least it should be. It's not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's about ascribing to him the glory and honor that's due his name because he's the only one worthy of it. But the amazing thing about our God is that when we stop and do something for him, he in turn in his goodness does something amazing for us as well. How many of you Jesus followers have experienced that when, when you come in to this place on a Sunday after a hellacious week, stressed out, burned out, and you gotta say, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your grace. You're worthy. We worship you. And all of a sudden, you leave church and you're like, thank you, Lord. You've restored my soul. It was all about him. It was all for him, but he and his goodness as a good father does something amazing for us as well. And so listen, if you fear missing out, listen, don't think that you've got to be in full-time ministry or be a part of a nonprofit or some, you know, humanitarian effort. No, right where you're at in your cubicle, the work you're doing on the assembly line, the, the things you're doing as a stay-at-home mom, he is leading you on right paths to make you look more like him right where you're at. So you don't have to fear missing out. Let's stop stressing out over, am I doing all the right things? Am I significant enough? Am I missing out on these opportunities? And let's get back to this question. Am I on God's path? And am I going at his pace? His path, his pace. That's what brings peace and purpose. Jesus said in John 10, 27, that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Following Jesus, following God's path at his pace brings purpose and peace. It brings him glory and it brings us joy. That's the